0: If you have your Bible with you this morning, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 14 this morning. Once you found your place in Mark chapter 1, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I ask that you would be with me this morning. Help me to preach your text clearly, to make your son known, and to be changed starting with myself by what Your Word tells us. Lord, would You forgive me of anything in my life that would hinder me from preaching Your text faithfully? And help me today, Lord, just to make much of Your Son from this text. Lord, for those who are here this morning, would You be with them, help them to pay close attention not to what I have to say, but to what Your Word says? And would You do a great work in each of us for the glory of Your Son. In Christ's name, Amen. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. (laughs) Repent, And believe in the gospel. If you're a fan of Kentucky basketball. If you're not, I'll forgive you for that. But if you are a fan of Kentucky basketball. Then you're aware of the difficulties that they've had this season. The first half of the season looked a lot different than the second half of the season has so far. During the first half of the season, they lost six of their first 16 games giving them a 10-6 start. The second half of the season so far, after last night's win, they've gone 6-1, and one, winning uh, over the last seven games, losing just one game to Kansas. They've also beaten some high-ranking teams during this stretch of wins that they've had. And when they were asked about what changed in their season, what changed for the dynamic of the team, both the team and the coaching staff were asked this question. All of them stated one thing. There was one thing that changed everything for the team. They had a serious talk about where they were going. They had a serious discussion about what the plan was, what the purpose was, what the blueprints were for the team. In Proverbs 29, verse 18, we're told, where there is no vision, the people perish." Where there is no vision, the people perish. And sometimes as a church, we need to come back and have these serious discussions about where are we going? What are we doing? What's the point of all of this? Why do we get together on Sunday mornings? Why do we call ourselves a church? Why are we here? What is the purpose? And it's easy to get off track in the busyness of life. It's easy to get caught up with all of the things that life throws our way with work, with kids, with family. It's easy to get caught up in all of that that we forget what the point of all of it is. But here in Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes and He preaches something to us and He's telling us something about the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. This morning I have just one point that I want to consider together and it is the gospel of the kingdom or the good news of the kingdom of God. Thankfully, we don't have to sit here and discuss what our point is. We don't have to sit here and try to game plan or come up with the blueprints, but God has already given that to us. God has already told us what our purpose is. The chief end of man, as the Westminster Confession says, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So our chief end, our purpose, our point in life is to bring glory to God. And we gather collectively as the church to do that very same thing. And we as the church are part of the kingdom of God. And here beginning in verse 14, we see Jesus preaching on this kingdom. Now let's backtrack just a little bit. Going back to verses 12 and 13, we saw that Jesus went out into the wilderness. He went out into the wilderness where He was for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And then here in verse 14 it says, Now... Now, after John had been taken into custody, so during that time, during the time that Jesus was away, Jesus came, was baptized by John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus who paved the way and said the Messiah is coming. Then Jesus comes and John looks and says, there's the Messiah I was telling you about. Now, John is in prison. It says in verse 14, Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee. So both John and Jesus were, We're out of the picture. They were both gone for a short period of time here. And here is where Jesus comes back into Galilee. The word used here in this text in verse 14, preaching the gospel of God, the word used for gospel in the Greek is evangelion. This is the root word from which we get our word evangelical, a broad word describing those who identify with the church. It is also the root word from which we get our word evangelism. One of Zondervan's authors, Dr. Sam Chin, defines evangelism in this way. The essence of evangelism is the message that Jesus Christ is Lord. Evangelism is our human effort of proclaiming this message, which necessarily involves using our human communication, language, idioms, metaphors, stories, experiences, personality, emotions, context, culture, and locatedness, and trusting and praying that God in His sovereign will will we're, we'll supernaturally use our human and natural means to affect His divine purposes. In a general sense, evangelism refers to our human efforts of proclaiming this message to any audience of believers and non-believers. In a narrower sense, evangelism refers to our human efforts of proclaiming this message to non-believers. But in both senses, we proclaim the gospel with the hope that our audience responds by trusting, repenting, and following and obeying Jesus. And so the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus has come to make us new. He has come to give us life. He has come to bear our burdens. He has come to give us peace. And He has come to build up His people. And it's interesting that Mark doesn't take much time here to tell us much about the captivity of John. But he just says in verse 14, Now after John had been taken into custody, that's all we hear of John the Baptist being taken into custody. I think there are two reasons that Mark doesn't say much on this. First, is because as I've said before, primary Mark's primary focus is on the ministry of Jesus. Mark's primary focus is on the life and ministry of Jesus. He gets right to the heart of his purpose of writing. Second, Mark wants us to understand the context. John the Baptist is taken into Roman in custody. And in that time, you would not go to jail as a punishment. You went to jail as a pre-trial punishment. In other words, you went to jail knowing that you were going just for a time while you awaited your trial. And then after the trial, they didn't send you back to jail. It would be very rare that they sent you back to jail. What would happen is you'd go to jail, you would go to your trial, and then very often if you had gone to jail for a trial, you would be executed. Or you would be excommunicated from the community. And so whatever the case, they knew, the people here knew that they wouldn't be seeing John again. They wouldn't see John the Baptist again. And so the context here is that John the Baptist is the forerunner of Jesus. He's the one who all of these people had been following. And then Jesus comes and is baptized. Jesus goes away for 40 days. John is in prison. So the context here is very bleak. It looks... Like things have taken a turn for the worst. It looks like things are going downhill fast for the church of God. But then it says in verse 14, now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. Jesus comes in and immediately he begins preaching. He shows up right on time. Right when things look bad for the church, right when things look bad for these early Christians, Jesus shows up. And this wasn't coincidence. This wasn't chance. This wasn't fate or luck. This was God's sovereign providence. It was His perfect timing. Right when things started to look really bad, that's when Jesus showed up. How many times in your life has God shown up up right on time? How many times in your life have you looked at the course of life and said, I don't know where to go from here. It looks like everything is hopeless. It looks like I'm completely helpless. I have hit a wall and then I've turned the other way and I hit a wall there. I turned the other way and I hit a wall there. I'm in a pit. I can't get out. And then God shows up right on time. That's what happens here. It is in the valley of death that the giver of life reveals himself most clearly to us. And if we look here at verse 14, notice what he does. As soon as he comes back into Galilee, as soon as he comes back to town, he comes in preaching the gospel. He doesn't tell stories, he doesn't draw in large crowds by entertainment, he doesn't throw parties to draw attention. He preaches the gospel. One of the first sermons I preached here at Mount Carmel was on Nehemiah 8, 1-8. In that text, we see Ezra. Immediately after Nehemiah has built the city walls to protect the city of Jerusalem from any outside attacks, Ezra stands up and begins preaching the Word because he understands that they've done well in protecting the city from outside attacks, but now they need to build up the city. And the way that they build up the city is by preaching the Word of God. The way that we build up the church is by preaching... Word of God. If you want to be built up, if you want to be encouraged, if you want to build up and encourage those around you, give them the gospel. Remind them of the good news of Jesus. Remind them of what God has done for them and for you and for us as a church. That's how you'll encourage people. And Jesus comes here back into Galilee and this is how he encourages the people. He comes in and he preaches the gospel of God. He gives the people the gospel. He declares the good news. He tells them what He has come to do for them. And in verse 15, here's what Jesus says in His preaching. We get a glimpse into the sermon preached by the Son of God. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God saying, the time... Is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Notice that he says that the kingdom of God is at hand. Presently. He does not say that the, gospel, that the kingdom is coming. He does not say that we're waiting for a millennial reign. But that he brought the kingdom with him. That he is the king of the kingdom now. That is in the present age. In Mark chapter 16, verse 19, we see that when Jesus was received up into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God. The act of Jesus taking his rightful seat shows us that he is currently on the throne, ruling and reigning over the church. He is the head of the church. He is the king of all creation. And here's the good news of the kingdom. Here's the good news of what God has done That Jesus is doing something in and through the church that is truly beautiful. One great concern of mine in the modern age is our misunderstanding of the church. Our ecclesiology, that is, our study and doctrine of the church, is poorly lacking. For so many, church is just a social club, it's just a place where you come and hang out on Sunday mornings, it's a place where you come because you didn't have anything better to do. It's an event venue. It's an entertainment center. As long as you're being entertained, you'll come hang out here. But the minute that the preacher says something that you don't quite like as much, you're out the door. That's how a lot of people view the church today. But this is not at all how the Bible describes the church. The Bible describes and defines the church as being much more than that. The local church is not, as Paul Washer calls it, a six flags over Jesus but as a place of holy worship. We gather together for one primary purpose, and that is to glorify God who is eternally worthy of our praise. And if you've forgotten this morning that God is worthy of your praise, then that's why you're finding it difficult to worship Him. That's why you're finding it difficult to sing the songs of praise to Him. That's why you're finding it difficult to pray to Him. is because you've forgotten just how worthy of of your worship He is. And here we're told that the gospel, the good news of God is that Jesus is building His kingdom. That Jesus is doing something in the world. That He is gathering people from all corners of the earth and bringing them together and we are one people. We are one church. We are one kingdom. We are God's people. Look at the pews around you. The pew in front of you and behind you. Look at the people beside you. Those of us who are in Christ, these are your brothers and sisters. These are the ones who, you're not just here on earth for some 70, 80, 90 years, but you will spend eternity together in heaven. And eternity will be filled with worshiping the God who has saved you. With worshiping the God who has brought us together. We are His possession. We are His people chosen and set aside for the glory of the Son. We are one local church symbolizing and participating in the larger global universal church, namely the kingdom of God. We have brothers and sisters in this building, at the churches down the road, in states all across the country, and in nations all around the globe. God has done a wonderful work in saving His people. And if you are numbered among this family of God, we need to tell others about the good news of what God has done. Look with me back here at verse 15. Jesus is saying, The time is fulfilled. In other words you were looking for the Messiah you were waiting for the one who would fulfill the law you were waiting for the for the savior of the world you were waiting for the sinless and spotless lamb about whom you read so much about in the old testament the time is fulfilled in other words Jesus is saying I'm here I'm here you're not waiting any longer you're not waiting for something else you're not waiting for the next best thing you're not waiting for someone better than me to come along but Jesus has already come Jesus has already come to bear our sins, to go to the cross at Calvary so that He would die in our place, rise again unto newness of life so that we too might rise unto newness of life. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And notice what He says at the end here. If you want to be a part of this kingdom, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, If you want to be numbered among the children of God, repent and believe in the gospel. Sometimes we overcomplicate things, but Jesus makes it very simple here. Repent and believe in the gospel. What sins are you dealing with this morning? What treason have you been committing against God? Repent this morning. Turn away from it. Stop playing around with what Christ came to die for. Stop piercing the hands and feet of the Savior. And instead, repent. Turn away. Have no more to do with that sin. And believe Believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news. Trust that Jesus has come to make you new. Believe that he has come to gather a people. To build up a kingdom. For his glory. For his name's sake. And if you are in this kingdom. If you are here this morning as a blood bought believer. As a child of God, a son, a daughter of God. One who has walked with God maybe for just a few days. Maybe you've walked with the Lord for years, for decades. Why don't you tell someone what God has done for you? Go around the city doing what Jesus did. Proclaiming, declaring the good news of the gospel. The good news of the kingdom. Tell someone what God is doing down at the local church. Tell someone that God has saved you. Tell someone that God has given you a testimony, that God has brought you out of the sinful life in which you once walked, that God has brought you away from being an an enemy of God and has brought you into friendship with Him. That God has made you a son, a daughter of His own. Tell someone. When's the last time you took an opportunity to tell someone what God has done? When did you last shut off your mind to everything else and meditate upon this truth that God has done something in you? That God has made you entirely new? That God has given you citizenship of a different country? A different kingdom? The kingdom of God? It is good news to be a child of God. It is the best news that we could possibly have. Instead of watching the news and all of the terrible news that goes on over and over again. We hear of shootings and murders and bad politics. But if you want some good news, shut off the news and open up the word of God. And think about what God has done for you. Because here he tells us that he is preaching the gospel, the good news of God. And he's telling us that the kingdom of God is here that we are, those of us who have repented and believed in the gospel, who have repented and believed in Christ, are children of God. We're so quick to announce a job promotion. We've rushed to Facebook to share the accomplishments of our children and our grandchildren. We celebrate birthdays, anniversaries, and holidays. We dedicate whole aisles at the store to purchasing items to celebrate these days. But can I just lovingly urge you this morning to consider what Jesus is doing. What is he announcing? What is he declaring? What is he celebrating here? He is telling anyone and everyone about the kingdom of God. About his great and glorious work on behalf of his people, the church. The church is the eternal kingdom of God against which nothing will prevail. So tell somebody. Tell someone. Tell anyone what God has done in your life and what God can do in their life. Tell them about what God is doing in the church. Invite them to come and see what God is doing. And when you invite them to come and see what God is doing, don't let them be disappointed to find that you're not here worshiping and participating in that worship and in that celebration of the kingdom of God when they do feel drawn to visit. John Piper said it like this. This is worship. To act in a way that shows the heart's valuing of the glory of God in the name of the Lord Jesus. Worship means consciously knowing and treasuring and showing the supreme worth and beauty of God. I wonder this morning if your life reflects that you treasure and know the beauty of God. Do you understand how worthy God is of your worship? Think back about where you were. Think back about all the sins that you committed. All the sins that if somebody else knew about them, they probably wouldn't have anything to do with you. If the person sitting next to you, maybe it's your own spouse. If that person knew what you had thought about them at times, they wouldn't want to be near you. And yet we who were once enemies of God have been made children of God. And if that's not enough to cause you to worship Him, if that's not enough to make Him gloriously worthy of your worship, then, no amount of cheerleading on my part can ever get you to do that. We shouldn't need a cheerleader to cause us to worship. The blood that Christ spilled out on Calvary's Hill on our behalf should be plenty enough. That should be the good news the good news of what God has done. Tell somebody. If you want to know why the numbers in the church are declining, not just in this church, but in churches across the world, it's not because God has failed. It's not because the devil is prevailing. It's because the church is not moving as it should. Jesus comes back into the, into, into the city of Galilee, and He immediately goes on preaching the gospel. As we go back into the city limits this morning, as we go to wherever we go for the restaurant, or if we go to the store, whether we go back with our families, whatever it might be, go there ready to tell someone about the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the good news of what You have done in my life. Lord, there are so many things in my own life that are deserving of death and damnation. I don't deserve any of Your love. I don't deserve Your grace. I don't deserve Your mercy. But Lord, I know that that's just it. That the fact that I don't deserve it, that I haven't earned it, is what makes it grace. It's what makes it Your love. It's what makes it Your mercy. And so Lord, would You remind us today each and every one of us of where we have come from and remind us of just how good it is that you have saved us and brought us into your kingdom. Renew us today. Help us to have a revived outlook that we would tell others, that we would tell anybody and everybody who has ears to hear of what your son has come to do, of what your son is doing In your church, not just in this church, but in the church at large, would you help us, Lord? Encourage us and build us up for your name's sake. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.